This is a message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. For other sermons from Antioch, you can visit the church website at antiochchurchnc.org. Now, let's turn our hearts to the Word of God. Second Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 1. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your s- sincere mind by way of reminder. Amen. Thank you, Laura. And Happy New Year to those who are with us physically and those who are with us virtually. Welcome to 2023. How many of you were actually awake last night at 12 o'clock plus one second? Raise your hands. Wow, really? <laughs> How do you do it? Cindy, you were awake, but you didn't want to be, right? <laughs> Some people just couldn't sleep. You know, when you look at photo albums, whether you're actually handling pieces of paper, you're flipping through a photo album, or you're looking at a, a digital file and so you're scrolling through, what are you doing? You're, you're taking time to be reminded of something that you saw something that you took a picture of or somebody else did or something that happened to you, something that you experienced last year. You're not really looking for something new unless you're a forensic scientist. You're, you're looking for things that you already know. You're being reminded. And isn't that mostly what happens to maturing believers, Not maybe not brand new believers, but maturing believers, isn't that mostly what happens when we read the Word? We're not necessarily looking for something new. We're, we're being constantly reminded of what we already know to be true. And that's how God grows us up in those things. So what I did the last couple of weeks was just take some time to remind myself of what I'd, what I'd seen and what I heard and what I learned, or at least trying to learn, in 2022. And a lot of that last year, uh, and I think the same is true for you, was probably not something New, but a reminder of something true. So that's why I chose this verse from, from 2 Peter 3.1. I like this verse. We're going to look at a couple of other passages, but it's a reminder in, in several ways. First of all, this is Peter's second letter to believers, scattered believers, the dispersion. And first he calls them beloved. It's agapetos. It means perfectly beloved. He says, hey, just a reminder, you are beloved. In fact, you are perfectly loved by God. We're not perfectly loved by each other, and that's why we need grace. Amen. But we are perfectly loved by God. And so he reminds them of that. And then he says, uh, the purpose of these two letters, he said, this is now the second time I've written to you. And the purpose was in both of the letters to stir up your sincere mind by way of reminder. To stir up your sincere mind. I like the picture of someone who's in that in that that. Space between deep sleep and between being fully awake, right? We've all been there. Some of you are there right now. And so, and so until somebody comes and, and touches your shoulder and then you're fully awake and, and you're aware of where you are and you're present in the moment. And that's what Peter is trying to do here. I'm trying to, to stir you up and remind you of something that is true about you. And what's being stirred up? He says our sincere mind is being stirred up. Stir up your sincere mind. Interesting word sincere there. Sincere is a word that means judged by sunlight. It means it's tested and proven by pure light. 
the word in English comes from a Latin word, sincere, which means without wax. Where does that come from? Well, potters of old, sometimes when they made a mistake on the pottery wheel and they didn't want to, you know, just start over with a new bunch of clay, they would just go ahead and make that pot with its blemish, with its crack, with its impurity, but they would fill that with wax. (laughs) And so the discerning purchaser would hold up that pot to the sunlight to see if, in fact, there was any sunlight coming through those cracks. And the, the honest potters would put a sign in front of their pottery that said, sincere pottery without wax, right? And so what happens here is, is, is Peter is saying, I, I'm reminding you of the things that are true that have been tested that are Scripture because they are without wax. It is pure. It's been tested by the sunlight of God himself. These, the light of God's glory and can be fully trusted. He says, I'm wait, writing to awaken you again to the pure truth of God's word. That's not just for our information, We're not reading the word for our information. As we've said many times, we're reading the word for our transformation. We want to read it to be changed by it, by God's grace. The truth indeed sets us free. So I want to share two truths with you by way of reminder this morning. And then an announcement about a class we hope to offer starting in a few weeks. So what is the purpose of our practice? Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. I'm just going to read the first four verses in Matthew 6. And I would encourage you to read the whole chapter because, uh, well, at least uh, through verse 18 because it's all one piece. But we're not going to take time to go through all of it now. You'll get the gist in verses 1 through 4. And Jesus is talking to people who lived in a society where the religion practiced by the Pharisees especially. And they were the iconics. They were the, the examples. The religion there was mostly external, right? And Jesus knows that. It's not a pure heart. It's a, it's a heart that's, that's deceived, and therefore they're, they're all about external. So he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So what's the most important here? Act or motive? What's the most important? Purpose or practice? What's the most important? The the exercise of the will or the, the, the matter of the heart? And of course, we can't say that neither is is important, both are important, but what Jesus is emphasizing here is this thought. We're called to give and to fast and to pray, but our motive behind it makes all the difference in how God receives that and how he rewards us, all right? So it's an imperative. Jesus starts with the word beware, and that's a command, beware of practicing your righteousness in these certain ways, and and he could have said, It could be translated, be careful not to, don't do this, be careful not to practice your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. The act is not dismissed unless the act itself is self-serving or selfish. In other words, Jesus doesn't say, be careful not to practice your righteousness. 
Everybody see that? He doesn't stop there. Be careful not to practice your righteousness. Of course he wouldn't say that. Because practice makes permanent. And what do we want to make more permanent than our relationship with God through Jesus Christ by way of the Holy Spirit living within us? We want to develop that relationship so we do practice our righteousness. And we get, we get better at it, if you will, by doing it. Just like practicing anything make you, makes you better at it. And Jesus does not say, don't practice your righteousness. No, doing righteous acts is not the problem. Jesus also does not say, be careful not to practice your righteousness before other people. He didn't stop there. Because if he had stopped there, we would not have public prayer time. We, we wouldn't pass the offering plate. We wouldn't ask people to share their testimonies of how God had worked in their life. Because they, those are acts of righteousness that we practice before other people. When you pray out loud, as some of you did just a moment ago, or as some of you will do later in this service, you are praying in a way that others can see and hear, and, and that's, that's practicing your righteousness for other, before other people. So Jesus didn't stop there either, Right? The key prepositional phrase Jesus adds is not to practice our righteousness before other people. What? In order to be seen by them. If our motive is to be seen and praised by others, then we will receive a reward. We will, but only from those who admire what they've seen us do or say or sing or play or serve. They admire our action, and so they say, man, you're really good at that. Wow, what a guy. What a, what a, what a gal. So what do we do you know, in response to this? Should we just say, okay, well, I know my heart's not pure. I know I don't have a perfect motive. I don't have a perfect bone in my body. My motives are never pure. I've always got some selfishness. Therefore, I'm not going to practice any righteous acts. Is that the answer? <laughs> no, of course not. We will never be pure in heart until we see him face to face. That's the only time when we will truly be pure in our motives. So Jesus says, hey, give. Don't stop giving. Give, but do it privately. That's why we fold our checks when we put them in the offering plate, right? We don't just lay them in their face up so the next person can say, whoa, wow, dude, good gift. We fold them up. We give them pri privately. Jesus said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And he's talking about giving to the needy here, but I think we can apply it to any kind of giving that we, we do. Jesus says to pray in your room when the, door, when the door is shut where there's no one to hear you but God. Right? We pray out loud in the service, not to be seen by men, but to encourage and bless the faith of others. We know that people prayed uh, corporately in the body of Christ. Acts 4 is a beautiful story of how they were, they were being persecuted. So they all gathered together as they were praying. And they were crying out to God to, to help them. The place where they were meeting was shaken. How do we know that prayer except somebody heard it and wrote it down? How do we know the prayer that, uh, what's his name, prayed? The first martyr, Stephen, there it is, in Acts 7, unless somebody had heard that prayer and wrote it down. When he saw the heavens part and he saw Jesus standing before, was sitting beside the, at the right hand of the Father, he saw that and somebody said, oh, let me write that down. That's pretty important there, that prayer. And so we pray also privately 
when we're not trying to say it exactly the right way, sometimes, I, you know, we all fall into that trap, right? And maybe some of you never pray out loud in the service because you're afraid of saying it the right way. See, that's, a, that's taking that not being seen by man too far. It's, it's giving into, I think, a little bit of a fear of man, their judgment, their approval, uh, they're, you know, critiquing my grammar, you know, my spelling error yesterday. I told you about the New Year's prior. Somebody pointed that out to me very quickly. But, but look, don't not pray because you're worried about saying exactly the right thing because then you're praying to be what? Seen and heard by men. Pray because you're talking to the Father and it doesn't matter if you say it exactly right. He knows your heart. He knows what you mean, if you, even if you say the wrong things. How many of us have prayed for the wrong person, right, by name, but we meant, we meant to be praying for Jack and we prayed for John or whatever? And, yeah, we've all done that. You think God's confused? No. He, it's okay. So pray privately, but also be willing to pray out loud in front of others uh, because you want to bless the Lord and offer up a, a prayer. And then he says, and when you fast, don't go around looking hungry and say, well, I wish I could eat lunch with you, but, you know, I'm fasting and trying to get closer to Jesus. And, you know, sometimes you have to do that. Do you ever fast? I don't know if you ever fast, but I'm fasting today. And No, that, you just blew it. That's no reward whatsoever. The only reward you got was from that guy who might be impressed that you're fasting and, and, and you know, and he's not. He says, no, anoint your face, walk around uh, as, as normal, uh, act, act the, sa- the same. And then, what does Jesus say? The same promise he repeats each time. If you read all 18 verses or however many there were I told you you should read, you will see this phrase repeated three times after he goes through giving and praying and fasting. Look at verse 4. And your father, who sees in secret will reward you. Hey, he said, here's why you give. You give because I've commanded you to, but you give because your Father's going to reward you. And here's why you pray. You pray because I've commanded you, but you're, you're praying because the Father's going to reward you. And here's why you fast. And you say, some of you might say, well, I don't, I don't want to be rewarded. Anybody ever have that thought? I don't, I don't want to do anything for a reward. Look, first of all, number one, you're not being honest because God designed us in such a way that we want to be rewarded. We, it's in our DNA, right? We want re- rewards, but we want to make sure we, we want the right kinds of rewards, not the earthly or fleshly or temporal rewards. We want the rewards that come from Him. And that's a biblical, that's a biblical truth, is that God designed us not only to desire rewards, but to look forward to the rewards that will be laid up for us in heaven. In fact, look at, look at verse uh, 19. After this section, he's talking about our motives. He said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, because stuff happens and they get stolen and they get destroyed. But lay up for yourselves, verse 20, but lay up, command, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, because they're safe there. And also, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In other words, look, do these things, give and pray and, 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 and serve and fast because you're laying up treasures for yourself, rewards for yourself in heaven. 
And where your treasures are, there your heart is. And Jesus is saying, that's the way, that's the way I want your heart oriented. Oriented towards heaven. Towards the things of God. Towards the eternal, not towards the temporal. Where is our heart most of the time? I know my heart most of the time is oriented towards the here and now. I want this reward here and now. I want this pleasure here and now. I want this, you know, this benefit here and now. And Jesus is saying, look, don't be like the, the, the rest of the world. You're different, right? You're serving the Lord, but you're doing it so that he will reward you in heaven. Your heart is oriented towards him and not towards yourself and not towards your fellow man. That's why Paul said, it's no longer I who live, Galatians 2.20, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. So what's the summation of the first lesson? Practicing our righteousness for the right reasons brings glory to God and lays up treasures for ourselves in heaven, which is where we want our heart to be turned. Secondly is this lesson, don't let the fire go out. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And we're just going to read two verses, 24 and 25. Let's look at verse 23 first. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. That's our foundation. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, even though we were post-COVID in 2022, praise God, from whom all blessings flow, the effects of the pandemic continued, didn't they? One of the results of the COVID pandemic was that churches everywhere were shuffling the deck, right? And, and so people were moving around during COVID and after covid uh, from one church to another, and that happens. But the worst part is that some of the cards simply fell out of the deck. <laughs> um, I wrote in my journal last February, online church can be and is a great blessing to the shut-in, but it can also be a great disincentive as well. What happens when the shut-in becomes a stay-in? The person who could not get out because of the virus or because of other extenuating circumstances can easily become the person who won't get out when their circumstances are just a memory. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is dealing with. I don't think there was a pandemic going on when he wrote Hebrews, whoever wrote it, whether it was Apollos or Paul, other, other variations on the theme, doesn't really matter. But it's interesting because it's 30 years after Pentecost. Hebrews was written about 30 years after Pentecost. What was the attitude of the people of God after Pentecost, they could not get enough of being together. They met together day by day in each other's homes. They were celebrating the Lord. They were worshiping the Lord. Acts 2 tells us that story. Read 42 through 47 and see all that the church was doing. And so this is one generation later. And the writer of Hebrews says... Um, yeah, there's a problem is, is, is that 
there's a, there's not neglecting to meet together is a problem, as is the habit of some. It's become the habit of some not to meet together. The habit of some has not been become not to meet together uh, with other believers. And remember the time when the other with the believers are meeting together since the day Jesus rose from the dead is on the first day of the week. That's been the custom for the church for 2,000 years. For two millennia, the church's custom is to gather. It's interesting, you know, the word habit is the word ethos. You know that word in Greek, right? We talk about ethos, pathos, and logos, right? I talk about that in public speaking a lot. Your ethos is your custom. It's your usual practice. It's your manner of living. It's who you are. And he says the ethos of some has become to avoid the gathering, to not show up, to not be there and be excited to be there and to participate there in the way that they were before. And saints, listen, if we only gather with the saints when it's convenient for us to do so, then that is our ethos. We have an ethos with regards to the things related to the church that is marked by and driven by convenience. And we see that in our culture. We see a, a, a commercialism, a, a convenience-driven, a um, needs-driven, right? Purpose-driven, however you want to say it. it, it, it and it's, and it's, it's very self-oriented, isn't it? And so that's what's going on here in the, in the first century even. Uh, with the new church. And we're invited, though, into the assembling of ourselves together on a weekly basis. That's why the church is called what? What's the Greek word for church that's used 115 times in the New Testament? You guys know what it is. Ecclesia, right? Ecclesia, it literally means called out. The people of God are called out. What are we called out from? The world, the sin, Right? It's the sin of the world. We're called out spiritually and into Christ. When we were born again, we were called out of the world and into a relationship with Jesus Christ. But we're also called out physically from the world and into the body of Christ. Right? We're called into a relationship with the body of Christ. Where the church is meeting, those who are physically able are called to come and meet there. So we have to be very careful with the habits we create, especially any habit that draws us away from the physical gathering of God's people. So the writer of Hebrews is concerned about this, and he wants the people of God to be concerned as well. And he doesn't just stop there. Hey, you know there's a problem. People have gotten in the habit of not meeting together. What does he do next? He says, hey, here's how we need to solve this problem. Listen up, saints. He says this, verse 24, let us consider one another. The word means to observe or to notice. We love each other. We notice when something is wrong. And one of the things we notice is when someone's missing. Maybe for an extended period, and so we reach out to them. We notice when someone is missing the gathering. That's good. But then we're called to consider. We don't just notice that and say, wow, sure miss Fred. I wish Fred would come back. No, he said, then consider or to stir up one another. He said, we are called to consider how to stir up one another 
to love and good works. The idea there means to move towards someone whom we've noticed is missing, to be intentionally moving towards them, to stir them up, to call them in, to welcome them back, to give them a nudge, to help them, to love them, to put your arms around them, to do whatever it takes. Right, Just like a shepherd sees a sheep that is wandering from the fold, he goes, wow, I noticed that sheep is wandering from the fold. Hope it goes well with him, because I know there are wolves right over that little hill there. No, he goes and he, he stirs up that sheep to love and good works with a firm whack on the rump probably to get him back in the, back in the fold. So don't go hidden people, but we are, to call, we are to go to encourage and to stir up one another by moving towards them purposefully. And then he says in verse 25, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Saints, do we see the day approaching? This was 2,000 years ago. Are we ever more in that day now than we've ever been, right? As Vance Avenue used to say, it's later than it's ever been, right? You can always say that. I remember the story of a pastor who visited a church member uh, years ago who had stopped coming. And they sat together in the man's den, and they were sitting there, just the two of them. Uh, and there was a roaring fire in the fireplace. And the pastor said, you know, Fred, I'll just use Fred again. Fred, I, you know, we we'll really miss you at church. And, and people are asking how you're doing. And so I just want to come and, and tell you that we miss you and, and hope you'll come back soon. And, and he said, oh, you know, pastor, I, I, I'm, I'm doing fine. He made some excuses as to why he hadn't been there. He says, I'll come back to church one day, honestly. But honestly, I can't really see the need for it sometimes. I mean, I read my Bible, you know, most every day, just, just about. And, and I still pray when I, when I think about it, you know. So the pastor nodded, and he walked over to the fire, and he took a poker, you know, tool beside the fireplace, and he, and he found one of the small logs in the flames all, with all the others, and he just pulled it over to the side so it was by itself. And then he sat down. And they just sat there and watched that small log start to smolder and then eventually go out. And then the man looked at the pastor and said, Yeah, I'll see you Sunday. <laughs> As we gather today on the first day of the new year, may I encourage you to continue practicing the things you guys are so good at. This, this body is so good at loving one another. When there's a need, you meet the need. When people need meals, when people need encouragement, when people need visits, when people need prayer, when people need just about anything, you, you folks show up. Keep doing that and do it for the right reasons, of course, because you love Jesus and because you love the body of Christ. But also um, gather when we meet, make, make every effort to be here. You've been faithful givers this year. Antioch has had its greatest income, I think, haven't heard the final results, but I think we've had the best income we've ever had in 35 years, even with fewer people, I think, than we had during the pandemic. And because of that, when we've been able to add to missions, uh, local and foreign, we added, and I think we're back up to 30%. I think last year we were down to 28% or something, but I think 30% of our giving uh, went to missions this year. So we didn't spend it on ourselves. We gave that uh, to uh, help others and to advance the gospel in other places around the world. You've also begun to see that we spent some money this year on outdoor improvements, and those are going to continue. You've seen the swing set be moved, and now we're going to have a new courtyard. It's over there in the courtyard, a new courtyard, and a patio beyond that, and we just had some new lights put up in the back so that um, the back will be well lit, and we'll have a pad over that way for uh, basketball and Antioch's new favorite sport, pickleball, 
Um, that's going to be included. We're going to put electrical outlets down by the amphitheater so we can have events down there as we did the, uh, the fall festival and others. And these will be a blessing to our relational health. One of the things that suffered during the pandemic was relational health. People not being together. We struggle when we're not together. We're called, we're called out to be called into the body of Christ. And when we don't get together on a regular basis, we struggle. And, and so these are things that will help us, even give us uh, more incentive to be together. For our spiritual growth, the elders would like to invite you to a class that will start on Sunday morning. Some of you know that we've had a, a few classes in the past uh, few years, and we want to do another one. This year, Lord willing, starting on January 22nd at 8.45 a.m., which is going to affect our choir practice. We'll talk about that choir. Um, but we're going to go through a book called Ten que- Questions Every Teen Should Ask and Answer About Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. Some of you may have read Rebecca's first book, which is called, what? Just went blank on it. What is it? Confronting Christianity. Twelve Questions for the World's Biggest Religion. And it's excellent. Well, this is kind of like, remember when we went through Christian Beliefs by Wayne Grudem? That's the, that's the teenage version of Bible doctrines, which is the 20-something version. And the systematic theology, it's about this wide, is the 30-something version. I'm making that up. But it, his, his biggest book was then reduced to, to Christian Beliefs. Well, that's what this is. We're going to go through 10 questions. But listen, don't be, don't, be, don't, don't be thinking, oh, I don't need to come to that. I'm not a teenager. Yeah, we all need to come to this because we have teenagers in our lives or because we never learned these things as a teenager. We're still struggling with some of these issues that we don't really fully understand. Uh, the study will last for 10 weeks. It's intended to help Generation Z, but all of us believe, and all of us believe, understand, and defend the faith. Why? Why do we need to defend the faith? Jude wrote... Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And if you look at Jude, you say, well, Jude, why did you feel it necessary to write to us about this instead of just salvation? You know what he says? Because people have crept in and are perverting the grace of our God into sensuality. And they deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Can you believe that was written 2,000 years ago and not last week? Nothing new under the sun, saints. These same people that crept in in Jude's day have crept in in our day and have perverted the faith into sensuality and have corrupted the truth of the gospel about marriage, uh, for example, and other issues. Um, McLaughlin will deal with topics like racism, universality, which means universalism, everybody's going to go to heaven, science and faith controversies, marriage and same-sex attraction, gender, feminism, and why do we suffer? Why does a good God let people suffer in some of those? So I hope you'll make plans to attend. There's a, a sign-up sheet, not yet on the, on the credenza, but it will be, Lord willing, next Sunday. So you'll have two Sundays to sign up and let me know that you want the church to order you a book. It'll cost you about $10. Uh, If you buy it yourself, you probably will pay more online. So I hope that you will make plans to come. We possibly will have, I don't know if Jason's here, we possibly will have a catechism class uh, 
taught by Jason. We'll see about that. But I would, I would encourage, you, know, you guys can look at the book on, online and read some of the stuff in it. I would encourage even 9 and 10-year-olds to be in this class, depending on your parent, you, you parents and what you think about you, the maturity level of your 9 and 10-year-olds to hear some of the topics we're going to talk about. Okay, that's the end of that advertisement. But 2023 has begun, right? This is it, first day of the year. Um, may God continue to add his blessing to the work of Antioch Community Church and all the assemblies everywhere who hold on to his word and have not forsaken his name. Let's prepare our hearts now for communion. Father, we're thankful this morning for um, reminding us by stirring up our minds uh, with gentle reminders of things that we already knew to be true, but, but Lord, just wanted you, to hear from you again on I thank you for this body. I thank you for the good work that you did in 2022 in uh, Antioch Community Church. And we don't know what this year holds, but we know that you hold this year in your hands. You hold us in your hands. And so we know that it will be good, that, uh, that all that happens this year will be for our good and for your glory. And bless us, Lord, as we move forward into that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. Antioch meets every Sunday for worship at 10 o'clock a.m. at 1600 Powerline Road in Elon. You can download other messages by Pastor Fox at antiochchurch.cc. You can also learn how to order his books or subscribe to his blog at jmarkfox.com.